This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Taking a walk. I'm desperately trying to finish these songs before the first show. Just on a whim, I was in my car and I'm like, you know, let me listen to a songwriting podcast and see what someone who I don't know has to say about songwriting. The guy was saying that uh, if you could, if you write a song in 20 minutes, chances are it's not very good and no one's ever going to hear it. And yeah, I wrote Set Me Free in 20 minutes. It just came out of the clear blue. Welcome to the Taking a Walk podcast, an audio diary of insightful conversations with music insiders. On this episode, Buzz Knight talks with Kasim Sultan, bass guitarist, writer, keyboardist, and vocalist best known for his work with Todd Rundgren and Utopia. Kasim continues to have a distinguished career over four decades, and chances are music he's been involved in is part of a daily playlist in your life. To date, Sultan has played and sung on albums that have sold more than 85 million copies. He's toured with Hall & Oates, Cheap Trick, and Joan Jett, along with the late Meatloaf. Let's join Buzz Knight next with Kasim Sultan. Well, let's enter our uh, virtual Taking a Walk studio, and uh, special guests, please uh, enter and sign in, please. Hi, everyone. I'm Kasim Sultan. Uh... Uh, multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, um, dad, grandfather, widow, um, I don't know, uh, carpenter sometimes, uh, lawnmower, uh, dishwasher, chief cook and bottle washer. I love it. It's so nice to see you again, albeit virtually. You too, buddy. It's good to see you. Now, when you're in a recording process, writing process, 
do you ever get stuck and literally uh, break yourself free by going for a walk? Um, I actually, I go for a drive. Um, and, uh, I used to do that quite often. Um, now I, I take my dog for a walk. Um, and, uh, sometimes that helps most of the time. It, it's more about just the, just being uh, diligent and trying to force, uh, uh force, uh, through a writer's block. You know, which I, I, I'm not, and I'm not, and never have been a very prolific songwriter. Um, I kind of, you know, I, I pain over my, uh, my work. Um, and a, a lot of times people say, you know, you're, you're, uh, sacrificing, um, uh, uh, um, product for perfection. And, uh, but you know, everyone is different. But somebody told me you wrote the hit song Set Me Free in 20 Minutes. Is that true? Yeah, you know, it's really funny, too, because um, I was uh, I, I was going somewhere. I, I had to uh, go to an event in the Bronx last night. I live on Staten Island, and I had to go to uh, the Bronx. And I was looking for... Um, and we could talk about this in a minute, but I'm I'm about to uh, to go on tour um, uh, with the Fix. Uh, I'm opening for them um, on their North American tour coming up in November, and uh, and I have a couple of new songs that I want to I want to debut during my opening set because it's just me uh, solo acoustic. Um, and so I'm desperately trying to finish these songs before the first show. Uh, and I, I, just on a whim, I, I, I was in my car and I'm like, you know, let me listen to a songwriting podcast and see what someone who I don't know has to say about songwriting. Um, and this, this, this guy was saying, um, I'm not going to mention the, the, the podcast, but the guy was saying that, uh, if you could, if you write a song in 20 minutes, chances are it's not very good and no one's ever going to hear it. Um, and yeah, I wrote set me free in 20 minutes. Um, all but the, the, the bridge, uh, it just came, uh, uh, um, out of the clear blue. And, uh, it was, uh, it was at a particularly difficult time in my, in my career. Um, I, I, I was signed to Bearsville records as a recording, as, as a, a solo recording artist. Uh, I desperately wanted to do a solo album and Albert Grossman didn't feel that my material was ready yet, that I still had some growing to do as a songwriter. And he didn't want to, didn't want to, uh, 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 let me have, uh, a, a solo, um, album. Or record a solo album and and my attitude was look then fine then then let me go somewhere else let me find another record label that's willing to uh put a record out for me and he said okay that that's fine um you owe me uh x amount of dollars and uh and 10 percent of any future royalties you have on the, on your first record uh, and i just thought that that was just you know, a, a horrible, horrible thing. Um, it's business, you know, that's, that's the business <laughs> that we have chosen. Um, and, uh, and that's why I wrote set me free to get out of a record contract. 
What was that like dealing with uh, Albert Grossman, and did you uh, sort of get intertwined by the nature of that relationship somehow inside the Bob Dylan and band uh, camp at all? Um, you know, uh, Albert uh, Albert was a fascinating guy. It was really, really a, a, a really in, very interesting man. Um, it, you know, I, I mean, the history uh, uh, of between him and, and Bob Dylan and, and uh, Janis Joplin and the band and uh, Jesse Winchester and, and countless other acts. Um, and the, the fact that he had been around since the very early 60s, um, it, you know, it was you, you were kind of in awe being in, in his presence um, because he was certainly a force to be reckoned with. Um, and, but he never really um, my my dealings with Albert were, were strictly um, on on a solo basis and through Utopia. And um, Albert never really uh, uh, he never liked the fact that Todd had a band that took him away from uh, his work with uh, uh, his solo work. Um, so he Albert uh, uh, was always begrudgingly accept, accepting of Utopia um, because it was Todd's, you know, that was Todd's little side project. And um, uh, again, Al Albert would have been fine if Todd never had a, soul, a, a band uh, in terms of uh, something or a project that took him away from his solo albums. But Todd always had, it was always separate. It was always, Utopia was Utopia and Todd Solo was Todd Solo. So, Yeah, I think I saw that Roger Powell from Utopia, he said that Bearsville wished that Utopia had never existed. Is that true? Yeah, I mean that's basically what I just said. You know, uh, Albert did, didn't uh, he he did not um, think that Utopia was uh, uh, was anything that that had any legs. Um, uh, he he just thought that it was a, a, a distraction from uh, from Todd's solo uh, material, which was uh, a lot more successful than than Utopia. Was that a motivation for you guys? Um, no, I, I don't think it was a motivation. I, I don't think we thought of it either way. If anything, it was, it, it, it was disappointing. Um, you know, we were always disappointed that, uh, that, uh, Bearsville, uh, didn't take Utopia ser uh, more seriously. Um, but, you know, uh, we just, we, you know, soldiered on and, and did our tours and did our records and, um, you know, um, I have a I have a letter uh, up in my music room um, that from Albert uh, to the band about uh, one of the records that we did and in, in his saying that he doesn't think it's it's going to be a very uh, a, 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 a commercial success. So therefore, Bearsville doesn't want to put it out. He doesn't like the way it sounds. He doesn't like the songs. Um, and uh, he basically turned the record down. So when did you first meet? Todd Rundgren. Um, so I, uh, I I got wind of the uh, uh, that Utopia was looking for a bass player, John Siegler, uh, who was the bass player. The band had had gone from uh, a, a seven piece band with three keyboard players and Todd and background singers and um, 
uh, um, you know, Moogie Klingman and John Siegler and Roger Powell and John Eve Labatt, Willie Wilcox, Todd, um, and at, at one point, um, Luther Vandross uh, and um, David Lasley were the background singers. Wow. In Utopia. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the and, and the Todd was doing uh, the record Faithful uh, and which was a solo record. And uh, John Siegler decided that he was going to uh, pursue a career in advertising music, uh, 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 creating music for for commercials and television and movies. And so he left the band. He didn't want to tour anymore. Um, a, a friend of mine, uh, Michael Kamen, who was uh, who I had known through Cherry Vanilla, was contacted by Roger Powell and Roger um asked Michael if he knew of any bass players. It's a very convoluted story. And Michael called Earl Slick up, who was a very good friend of mine, and I grew up with Earl, uh, and uh, said, if you know any bass players, uh, Todd Rundgren's looking for one for his band, Utopia. I I, I just happened to, to see Slick, and he mentioned it to me, and he said, if you want to audition, call Michael Kamen up, which is what I did. And then the next day, I was on a Adirondack Trailways bus up to Woodstock to rehearse with Roger Powell and Willie Wilcox, the keyboard player and the drummer, um, for uh, Todd's return from India. He was mopeding through India at that time. Uh, it was due back the next day, and we were going to... Um, uh, I was going to audition for the band. So that was the first. That was April uh like uh, eight nine ten or eleven of nineteen seventy six so that's the first time I met Todd to answer your question it's a very long answer to your question so in your years with Todd um what traits did he teach you or rub off on you in terms of either his work process uh the way he you know, wrote songs or, or his disciplines. What what did you learn from Todd? Um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, I really cut my teeth in that band. You know, everything up to that point was kind of getting ready to be in a band like that—a national recording touring band. Um, so I, uh, uh, you know, while I had always dabbled in, you know, in trying to record songs and trying to write songs and playing live, uh, I, I really, everything that I, I learned, the foundation of, of my entire, uh, career was, um, was based around what I learned in those first uh, five, six, seven years in being in Utopia. Todd uh, was a, 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 a it didn't didn't necessarily set out to sit me down and say, "Okay, son, well, here's how you record a bleed vocal, and this is how you write a, a background part, and this is where I place the microphone to record a guitar amp." And no, it was nothing like that. It was just all. Uh, about you know watching him watching him work watching how he worked with other people uh, um and uh you know uh, uh I, I mean just taking that uh, uh, and and making it my own um one of the one of the most interesting thing was uh, things were uh right after I joined the band I was asked 
by Todd to uh, to play on a record that he was producing. Um, and uh, it, that was Meatloaf, uh, Bad Out of Hell. Um, and one of the, that was probably, I think, might have been like the second record that I'd ever recorded. Um, and uh, it was it was fascinating watching him as a producer and an arranger for all those uh, those songs like Bad Out of Hell and, and Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, took the words right out of my mouth. Um, uh, and how he worked uh, as a as a producer and as an arranger and um, as kind of like a, a, a you know a leader in the studio uh, when it came to recording somebody else's music. So that was fascinating, and uh, I, I learned I learned so much uh, about how you know how to make records and how to uh, put a band together and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I I learned a lot from Todd. What's in the secret sauce to a album like that that makes it just you know from start to finish just so Im- unbelievable? Um, you know, I, I I think that that things like that you don't really necessarily realize it at the time um, that you're you're kind of making you know something that's going to be iconic and uh, you know and last uh for a very very long time um I, 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 the secret sauce it's it's just chemistry you know it's, it's it's a group of people that get put together and the the sum is greater than the parts so you are uh you're just a, like a little you're a little piece of it but but everyone's contribution together makes this really really special thing and it's it's i don't think it's anything that you can really um uh, um uh, like there's no cookie cutter there's no mold for it it just either happens or it doesn't you know do you recall where you were when you first heard uh, a song from that album on the radio yeah i was in my car i was driving uh i i had a little alfa romeo gtv um and i was driving up to woodstock to start a uh, a tour i was on the palisades parkway um and uh and I was listening to WNEW, as a matter of fact, um, and a record, uh, the song came on and I said to myself, that sounds vaguely familiar. I know I've heard that song somewhere before and I could not put my finger on it for the first, I don't know, 30 seconds or something like that. And then I said, oh, that's the record that I did with Todd. That's uh, it was bad out of hell, as a matter of fact. It was the song Bad Out of Hell. Um, and and I thought, well, that's really cool. They got on NEW. That's great. That that was that was a, a milestone in any musician's life to have your record played on WNEW, especially in the afternoon drive. The place where rock lives. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> what a special feeling hearing it, my God. Yeah, uh that was. It it was uh it was very interesting and then the album just exploded and uh you know um the rest is history so it sounds like scott muni was the one from new it was the first one that played it maybe possibly i think it might have played in cleveland before that i think uh, i think kid leo might have uh might have grabbed a hold of it uh and and started the ball rolling i know there's there is an article out there about where 
it really took hold. But I think by the time that Scott played it or any anybody at NEW played it, it was all it was already something that people were calling up. And when people used to call up and say, I, I, you know, I want you to play this record, you know, those days. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I think there was a Cleveland connection, not only with Kid Leo, but for some reason, I think in the music uh, distribution side of it, there was some Cleveland. Well, it was Steve Popovich from um, who had Cleveland International, which was a subsidiary of Epic, uh, Epic Records. And uh, it was Steve who. Uh, you know, they tried to they tried to get RCA uh, to buy the record. They tried to get CBS to buy the record. They tried to get Warner Brothers to buy the record. Nobody wanted it. And this was after it was done. No one wanted it. And um, and that's when Cleveland International and Steve Popovich heard it and heard something there and decided that they were going to uh, get behind it. And again, it's like, like I said a few minutes ago, which is that, that, that whole thing about, you know, the stars just align and it becomes something that, uh, that, that all the pieces just kind of just fit together and, and the puzzle becomes whole. Why is it that um, the song, the very last time, and then more than a feeling is one of the greatest segues of all time. <laughs> um, maybe because uh, we consciously, uh, I, I think we were a little tired at that point of, uh, of making records that, that more people weren't, um, weren't listening to, um, you know, we wanted to reach a, a larger audience and Todd had this, this great idea. He said, why don't we do this? Why don't we listen to the, 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 the billboard top? Well, look, take a look at bill, what, what's uh, the billboard top 10 at that particular time in, in, in history. And um, I think it was like 78 or 79. Yeah, it might've been 78. Uh, and, uh, and let's just try to cop those, that, that vibe of those songs. Like if there's, I, I, you know, I, for the life of me, I can't remember what other songs were out at that time. There might've been some R and B song that was very popular. Uh, Boston was huge and more, more than a feeling was, I, I might've been a number one hit. I'm, pretty sure it was so we just tried to <clears throat> craft songs that were like that you know and uh and i think we did a pretty good job you know um and that's where most of that record came from was uh take just taking a look at what was popular and what was getting the most traction on radio and in the charts at that particular moment in time and then just copying them you know, just trying to make them our own, rewrite them, if you will. You spent some time with uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Uh, tell me how wonderful that experience was. I, you know, I I love Joan. Um, she was uh, she was a, a fantastic to work with, and uh, uh, um, and Ricky uh, Ricky Bird, the guitar player in the Blackhearts, was uh, we're still very very close to this day. As a matter of fact, I have a show with him on Saturday that I'm doing. Um, but uh, 
that was about three and a half years, I think. Tommy Price, uh, who was another uh, fellow Staten Islander, we grew up together, and and Tommy was a very a very in demand drummer in the early eighties. Uh, everybody was using Tommy on their record. He got a call to play with Joan. Joan needed a bass player. Tommy recommended me because we were we were best friends. Um, and I came in and then I was in Joan's band for the next, I guess, three and a half years from 86 to 90. And then how about your time working with uh, the great Hall & Oates? One of the best bands that I've ever been in. Um, I, 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 there are there were two gentlemen besides Daryl and John. There were two gentlemen in that band that um, are no longer with us. That I uh, was uh, was and remain in awe of their mu- musicality, and that was uh, T Bone Woke, who was the drummer. I mean, I'm sorry. T-Bone Woke, who was the bass player. Um, he was the bass player for, uh, for the longest time when I was in the band. Uh, it, it, T-Bone this, uh, took guitar, um, duties. Uh, and so I, I played bass. Uh, but just a brilliant musician and, and, and a lovely, lovely guy. And Bobby Mayo, uh, the keyboard player who was one of the, best keyboard players, piano organ players that I've ever worked with in my, in my entire life to this day. Um, just guys with, uh, with a, a, a the well, it, it has no, there's no bottom to the well of their knowledge of, you know, of music. Um, and so that was one of the best bands that I, I was ever in. I, I, the two or three years that I played with Daryl and John were, that was a great, great, great time. When I think of your well of music, and I think of diversity of styles and interests, you know, I think of the work that you did around the uh, the Broadway, the Twilight Tharp uh, project, uh, you know, in particular. Um, so what things that you haven't done do you want to do? Um, you know, I, I was just... Um, toying with the idea of doing a big band um there's a guy uh who who does a guy by the name of charlie rosen who does um uh uh, is called the eight bit big band and they do um video game music with a big band uh like mario brothers and um uh, uh and some other stuff that's like just out completely out there uh also this other guy um uh, uh, that does, uh, a big band. He does Zappa and Todd music with, uh, with like a 30 piece, uh, um, orchestra. So I always wanted, I, I, I had this idea that, uh, that I would do, uh, a bunch of songs that, uh, that I've had over my career, not just solo, but, um, with other artists, uh, with a big band. So that's something that I, I would love to do. It's just, it's just so cost prohibitive you know, to put together something like that and then do a show. It's, it, it, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's a lot of money, uh, to put a band like that together. Um, so yeah, that's something that I would love to do. As you, uh, contemplate going on the, the road and the upcoming tour with the fix and you think of live performance, do you have three maybe 
concert performances you as a fan went to that stand out in memory, you know, whether it be the greatness of the artist or the venue or the whole package? Yeah. Um, so the, the first concert that I really, uh, that I, I distinctly remember was Led Zeppelin at Madison Square Garden in 1970. I want to say 72 or 73. It was right after Led Zeppelin three was, uh, came out. And I went, uh, I, I guess I was either 14 or 15 years old and, uh, they were, they were just amazing. They were so good. Um, another one was the dolls at the Mercer art center in Manhattan. Very, it, it was a, uh, it was a very small, small club. Um, and seeing the dolls and I'm just like, I had no clue what that was about. Um, but I remember it made an impression on me. And the other one was, uh, was, um, yeah, it, it was either Jeff Beck at Carnegie Hall, uh, for the, uh, Orange album with Bob, Bob Tench and, uh, Cozy Powell. Um, and, um, when they did, uh, when they did that record, um, or Cactus uh, on Staten Island, they play. There used to be a venue on Staten Island called the Ritz, uh, and everybody came through here. I saw the James Gang there. Cactus Mountain at um, Woolman Rink uh, was that was just amazing. Just a three-piece band. It, it, it was just so big. Um, and I just remember saying, you know, but boy, I can't wait to be doing that. I can't wait to be on, on a stage like that. That was my dream. That's awesome. So you're looking forward to this tour coming up. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I, I know the guys in, uh, in the fix pretty well and, and they were kind enough to offer me the opening slot. Um, and, uh, it's about 15 or 16 shows that I'm doing o over the course of, uh, November. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's interesting as an opening act, you kind of have, uh, you have a little bit of a captive audience. No, nobody's leaving while you play. Um, so, uh, so I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited about, uh, being able to play for, uh, some, some new, uh, people, um, and, uh, and hope that, uh, that, uh, you know, that it goes well. So in closing, um, as such a student of it all and someone with such great disciplines, if someone's listening to this and they are working their way up the music ladder as a musician, what advice do you have for them? Um, you know, it's such a different, it's such a different time right now. There is, there's so many, there are so many more avenues to, uh, to kind of, you know, get your stuff out there and, uh, to be heard, um, uh, and, and to create and, uh, and, and make a record. You don't need to be in a recording studio anymore. You could do it in your bedroom, like Billie Eilish and her brother and become hugely successful. 
Um, or you can build an audience by playing live, you know, and, uh, and then working social media. Um, you know, Todd, uh, said one thing to me when I, when I was, uh, had just joined the band, I'll never forget we were in Paris and, um, uh, I might've been playing the Hippodrome in Paris or some large venue. Um, and, uh, we were having a, a chat on the side of the stage in the middle of the show. Actually, I forget what was going on that we, we had time to talk in the middle of the show. And he said, you know, uh, he said, the real trick is knowing when to stop. <laughs> it's like, if it's not happening for you, you know, knowing when, when it's time to, to, to do something else. Uh, he said, a, a lot of people just keep banging their head against the wall when it's kind of not going to happen. But having said that, if you, if, if you have the, uh, if you have the strength and the fortitude and the conviction and and the belief that what you are doing is is really really good um then just keep doing it thank you for the joy of the music that you continue to give us and and good luck on on the tour thank you so much buzz i really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk thanks for listening to taking a walk to stay up to date with the podcast, subscribe to our newsletter at takingawalk.substack.com. Find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.